0: Welcome back, dear listeners, to season two of the Dish with Dina podcast. I missed you so much, and I'm so happy to have you join us again. Today, my guest is Sonia Hahuja. Sonia and I dish about prioritizing our health, maintaining an open mind when it comes to science, and paving our own paths in our profession. Sonia is a registered dietitian who grew up in a South Asian household, learning Ayurvedic and homeopathic concepts and being introduced to weightlifting and physical fitness, which influenced her personal choices over the years. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome Sonia, good morning and welcome to the Dish with Dina podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Good morning, Dina.
1: I'm doing really well.
0: For the last interviews that I've been doing, there has been a running theme and part of the podcast in general of me trying to find out a little bit behind the scenes of, you know, who people are, what their earliest childhood memories were as far as food goes, what their cultural upbringings were. But before we go that far back, let's just go a little bit back and let's learn a little bit about if we remember how the two of us met. Do you remember that?
1: I do. So. I met you in September of 2019 at a networking event hosted by the Greater New York Dietetic Association. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in that room and saying, just looking at what I thought were the alternative weird folks in the room. And I was like, yep, that's my kind. (laughs) Uh, But I actually knew about you before then. I knew about you because I worked for the Hunter College Dietetic Internship uh, in 2017 and 18, and I had seen your name as one of the preceptors with uh, with, Dish with Dina.
0: Right, that's right. I remember the networking event. We've actually met in, like live and in person, and then once you introduced, we introduced ourselves to each other. Your name, I, I thought, oh my gosh, that's very familiar. Oh right, because we used to email each other. The you know con- what the contracts and all of the information that I would need as a preceptor for the for the Hunter College intern so we did know each other unknowingly and it was such a pleasure to meet you back then too and we hit it off really well as well and that's the thing that I kind of enjoy about this profession in particular is it feels very inviting and collaborative obviously depending on who you are with what your what you're social circle is like within this profession but i've i've felt very fortunate to come across a lot of like-minded people who make a point of kind of reaching out and putting each other in touch with people who might be like-minded so thank you for allowing me into your circle as well let's go back a little bit further and tell us a little bit about your upbringing your early childhood where you grew up and some of your cultural history too just to get an idea of you know what what maybe uh, gave you influences as to who you are now. So start back a little bit about your earliest childhood memories, your family dynamic, and that sort of thing.
1: Sure. So I grew up right outside the uh, – I grew up in the suburbs of New York, which is exactly where I am now. And I grew up with uh, parents who are from India. So I'm – I think it's called first generation. So I'm the child mm-hmm. of of Indian-born parents. And so I grew up kind of biculturally in The suburbs with a very Indian household, but in a very American external environment. And in terms of culture, I mean, it was I was very aware that I was Indian. We grew up in a, I guess you could say, bilingual household with English and Hindi-speaking family, along with another language kind of floating around in the air. Uh, And I also had two older siblings, so I was the third child, and that always kind of changes the dynamic and and your intellectual and emotional development, but I grew up with, uh, my parents are from India and there was a lot of Indian food. So in terms of, in relationship to food, yeah, uh, there was a lot of Indian food in the household. My mom prepared Indian food every day for dinner. Um, there was a, a very strong connection to their roots, which I think that was really important for them and which they tried to foster with their children. And so then with that came a lot of philosophy and ideas around food, around health, even around ways of life that definitely influenced me growing up and and left an impression. And certainly in today's world, uh, where we are exploring a lot of non-Western ideas and, and looking at Eastern modalities and ways of doing things, I definitely see a lot of the childhood ideas that I was exposed to now coming forward in my uh, professional adult life.
0: In our um, culture, in my parents, they grew up in Italy, in like a South Central-ish type of region in Italy. And there are many, many dialects. So I was not raised I was raised speaking English, but they spoke a dialect of Italian. So when I speak Italian, I only know that dialect. It's not the fluent true Italian. Is that same with having Hindi as well? Or do you follow like a very specific, more formal way of speaking? And are you then also bilingual now?
1: So my parents, we are Punjabi, uh, which is in the Northwestern region of India. Uh, so I grew up listening to the language Punjabi, which is very different, mm-hmm. but my my parents spoke with their children with us. They spoke Hindi and they're essentially, I would say we're really, our ethnicity is Punjabi, but we are from New Delhi, okay, uh, which is not uncommon. So our our Hindi is kind of mainstream. I think when you start to leave the bigger city and you go to other states, you might hear some changes.
0: Right. Like regional regional, regional. dialects. or mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's kind of like how in the United States we all speak English, but maybe right. you go to the South, the Midwest, you might hear some. Phrases or pronunciations change, but it's still ultimately English, and we can still communicate with one another.
0: You can still recognize it now in Italy. You can't, depending on if you're from the north or the south, you're using dialects and regional phrases that are not recognizable. What means mountain to one person means ocean to another, and that is actually very funny to watch when people meet and start speaking their own distinct dialect to each other and completely not understand each other. So there's quite a wide variety of that stuff going on in there. Um, Going back to the food though, right? So your homemade dinners took place obviously every evening at kind of the familial sitting around the table, much like we did as well. That was very, very important for all of us to be seated at the table at dinner time. but we also had Sunday was a big deal too. Not just were our, my own, you know, four people in my family with my mom, dad, and my brother, but all of the immediate family members or, you know, somewhat extended family members would come so the grandparents the uncles the cousins huge amounts of people would show up on sundays did you have some of that too like a regular routine thing that would happen on a on a regular basis in other words or was it more holiday related how did you have like large family gatherings
1: so exactly the last thing you said holiday oriented religious oriented gatherings we didn't i didn't grow up with a lot of family In the suburbs, so we didn't, and we don't have like the customary Sunday dinner or or Friday night in my home. Um, I don't think it's very pervasive in general in in the culture, but I don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is for some other people. We don't have that, but definitely there's a huge sense of community. I think there's a lot of parallel between the cultures that family, friends, big grandiose things are happening,
0: right? Right. (laughs) And there's always a lot
1: of food, and no one says no.
0: And no one says no. And we were also kind of passed off um, to other family members. I remember whatever, you know, aunts, cousins kind of taking uh, care of me just throughout the day or I would be sent off to you know hang out with somebody for the day. So there was a lot of that interacting with different family members that everybody just felt like a mom or an aunt, an aunt to me as well. So that was always kind of a nice, warm feeling to grow up in that environment.
1: When you say it like that, no, I totally relate to that because we have, there was so much, such a huge social life for my parents growing up that Mm -hmm. similar to you, like I would just, there was no babysitter. I don't, I don't remember any babysitter. This was not part of the vocabulary and we would go to the parties and yeah, we just make friends with the other kids or hi auntie, hi uncle. And Mm
0: -hmm.
1: just like, it was very normal. And I think we were socialized that way, which to pros and cons, but I think mo- mostly it's been actually a good thing to to kind of gain social skills like that uh, yeah. from childhood.
0: Yeah. And and you tend to take care of each other as well. I mean, when I was 10 years old, I think I was a latchkey kid taking care of my brother. And that was not uncommon back then. Nowadays, it might be a little bit frowned upon to leave children alone mm-hmm. that early of an age. But um, back in the 70s, that was what we did. And we also, uh, as you said, we babysat each other. We babysat among family members. We were, you know, hired, quote unquote, hired to go babysit our cousins and so on. And that developed a good dynamic there too. So that's always something I'm very grateful. Obviously, you know, at the time you might be like, oh, so many people in the house and mm-hmm. so much going on, so much energy. Um, so do you mind jumping ahead a little bit? And if there were any positive or negative influences that you remember from, from those maybe formative years in bringing you to kind of where you're going in the direction of school pursuits or career pursuits? And share share with us a little bit about that, that transition.
1: Yes. That's actually, that's pretty clear in my mind because I've had to think about it a lot. I think that's a common question people ask is how did you enter nutrition? Mm -hmm. And I would probably say there were two or three major influences. One was my mom. She grew up in a home where her own father kind of promoted um you know, vegetarianism, but also no alcohol, no meat, animal, meat products, animal protein, but also he was a big believer and follower of Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sometimes I think gets woven into some of the culture, the culture over there. And so that ended up being my mom talking about eat this, don't eat that. And this is good for your stomach or this has digestive properties or, uh, you know, the, that this food, the quality of this food, like I used to love to eat raw mangoes. And she used to tell me uh, what translates into English. I would say it's a very hot food because Mm -hmm. it has the potential to really turn your stomach. Um, But I think this is also common in Chinese medicine. Now that I'm an adult, I know this, but um, yeah. So my mom brought a lot of those concepts into the house. I am the youngest of three siblings and the only girl. And I have a, my next sibling is six years older to me. so there was definitely, I I hung out with my mom a lot and I think she communicated with me a little differently than she did with the boys. And there was a lot of communication about these ideas of this is how it's done in India. This is how we do things in my house or this is how I was raised. Eat this, don't eat that. And then I was also exposed to other things like other modalities of, of medicine, of healing. And, um, I didn't know what it was then. It was, of course, I grew up in the world of mommy and daddy and this was the norm. And and maybe amongst other Indian families that they socialized with, these were also common ideas. So it was not outside of my it was it was known. It was known amongst, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, we have some of this to heal this or, you know, eat this at night, soak these things overnight and drink this <laughs> in the morning, which still goes on till today. Um, So I would say my mom was the primary influencer, but then at the same time, I also had two older siblings, one who was uh, very physically active and involved with sports. And I was introduced, I was also into sports to a degree, but I was introduced to weightlifting at the age of like 16 or 17. And I remember, you know, I could say, yeah, when I was 17, I was doing bicep curls and maybe I was using circuit machines, but I was doing it. And then the other older sibling, who is nine years older to me, he, when I was what, ten, nine years old, he was 18 and he got into med school in the city. He'd left medicine and he ended up joining um, Southwestern School of Naturopathic Medicine in Arizona. So these two or three big influences my mom, my mm-hmm. siblings, uh, introducing organic foods and starting to talk about dark chocolate versus milk chocolate. It just, open things up. And then we also had a family friend who's an integrative dietitian to this day in Westchester County, who also at the time was a big influence.
0: In Italian uh, ways, we have a lot of those prescriptive treatments as well from you know toothache to pregnancy. And I also, as I think you know, and a lot of my listeners now will know this as well, that I teach um, an adjunct, I'm an adjunct lecturer at Lehman College. I teach an undergrad class that is called Society, uh, Food Society and Health, where we go around and learn about the regions of the world. And there are very similar approaches. So in your life, you were brought up with the Ayurvedic m- medicine, quote unquote medicine. Then there's the traditional Chinese medicine, but the medicine is really herbal remedies, food, healing food properties. That hot and cold balance comes up all the time when we're talking about caribbean and african and indian cultures it comes up a lot but they uh, term it different things there's the theory of the four humors and where you know you're kind of keeping all of the fluids in your body the phlegm the liver all of these things that are that could potentially be running hot or cold and to the listener out there it's kind of it's kind of. True, as far as temperature is concerned, but it's also maybe not what you're thinking as I have a fever, I have a cold. It's there are imbalances in the body, and so different food properties come, or I should say, different foods come with different properties that could then soothe or help improve that ailment or help support you in whatever that you're doing there. So I love learning about these things, and then also you know, because I'm teaching it, I'm not implementing it, but to know that you grew up in that way. And I kind of did too, where, you know, you go to the grandmother and they're putting some kind of they're soaking a cloth in something and like sticking it in your mouth. (laughs) And you're like, what is this supposed to do? And it does. I mean, it's not scientifically maybe proven to do that, but in their, in their tiny mountain town, that is how they treated each other and treated their, their ailments and so on. And they pass that down from generation to generation. And so, like you said, it is still prevalent, uh, maybe more so in the Ayurvedic world, because that is, somewhat, I think, still, uh, you know, going on where the tiny mountain town stuff might not be at this point. Um, they might have given into some more uh, modernized ways of things. Uh, so I love hearing that. And then if you don't have anything else to add about that, I want to talk about the physical activity thing, because this is where I struggle. And this is where I admire you, because it is almost like innate. For you, just to get up and move, and I don't like doing that at all. I have to force myself to get up. So, share with us a little bit about that journey of yours, and and I, whatever you feel you know comfortable in discussing of what you what you did then, what you're doing now, and how that how that maintains to be a non negotiable in your routine.
1: Well, you definitely I haven't used that word with you, but you definitely um, have assessed me a correct assessment. Um, so, I think I grew up. So in childhood, of course, we played sports. We were outside playing, which is like what you did back then. <laughs> and- right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Go play outside.
1: <laughs> um, uh, so I'd say like from childhood, I think I knew that we were we played sports. We played outdoors, which is not something you do much of anymore, um, but really it requires more effort today to do because we have so many more options mm-hmm. to stay indoors. But I played outside as a child. Uh, I had older siblings again, or one of my two older brothers was really into sports and every kid played ASO soccer in my town probably. And I played soccer. So, so that was good. But I also was aware that as a child, I was a healthy child and probably, um, I was healthy. I did not have the endurance capacity of my peers, so I couldn't do the running. So like in soccer, I- Wasn't the offense running across the field? I was defense. I had strength, and I didn't have the stamina to keep running and running. Um, so played sports as a kid, a little bit into high school. Pursued other things, but my at that time I was what sixteen. I said I started. I experimented with some weightlifting because my then twenty two year old brother was in college, and he we read this book called Body for Life. I don't know. I'm laughing cause I don't know what's the, what's the, the, the opinion of that book today, but we, we read that and I started getting into weightlifting and I, um, I think I kind of, I just knew that physical activity, um, was important and I probably called it, I yeah. called it exercise actually yeah. only until like a few weeks ago. Um, because I realized that it's, it's more, it doesn't, exercise I think has a certain connotation with it. So I've started recently calling this physical activity because it's really just about activity and movement. And I continued doing stuff in college. Uh, I mean, I I was like in my own world in college, but then at the end of college, I took a health and wellness class that really addressed wellness on the emotional, mental, spiritual, physical planes with a great professor. And it was my last year. And I thought, oh, well, I didn't like. I take this my first year. I would have pursued something totally different. And I ended up talking to that professor. I had a gym membership at the time, and uh, she introduced me to the idea of periodization. So I tracked my workouts, and I, I always had this like secret dream of getting really, really, really fit <laughs> uh, in terms of like competing, like amateur no. bodybuilding. But I don't no. think I've ever. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I care that much about the diet and exercise aspects of achieving that. So she introduced me to periodization. I started tracking my workouts. I created spreadsheets and um, it helped. So ultimately now fast forward to the next 10 years I spent in Manhattan with gym memberships, learning how to engage in other movements. Of course, under the now I have access to YouTube as an adult. Now my mm-hmm. sibling is older. And we start talking about squatting and deadlifting and I start learning about compound movements and, um, what is hit training. And I would say about 10 years ago, I mean, I've always had a gym membership and learning about these things and tracking, not tracking. Again, it's a very lay person's workout. Um, even if I say the word tracking, it's definitely nothing too serious. So I learned all these things and like a lot of self-teaching. I happen to have what I always felt was like good hand-eye coordination and just extremely good body awareness. So I would do that and it's recently, you know, during this whole quarantine phase, it's it's morphed into something else and my goals have changed. I'm now above 30 and I'm thinking about, you know what? Maybe it's not about um increasing my weights every every workout because I don't want to hurt myself and mm-hmm. it's about body maintenance mm-hmm. and now real life is happening i'm working and i can't put as much mental and physical energy towards that and i'm recently thinking about you know how do i how do you have a more effective workout in a shorter period of time and i think that's a lot of conversation that's going on with the hit training um so more recently um with the quarantine period i've actually become the most consistent with physical activity than i ever have before and I just don't know what it is, where that self-motivation comes from because I struggle with self-motivation when it comes to academics. It's been that way for years and I don't struggle with physical activity. And I think the, true, the opposite of true of, is true of mm-hmm. a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And I basically, it's morphed into just do what's fun.
0: Right. We've spoken about this too. I mean, the gift that keeps on giving, first of all, I want to go back and say, I agree with you with the term, the terming of exercise versus physical activity. Exercise does feel like it's a little bit more formal. Like you have to have some sort of routine in place, but really any form of movement counts towards something counts towards strengthening yourself or, uh, you know, in other ways as well, alleviating stress and just getting your body moving too. one of my previous interviews was with a doctor of physical therapy who agreed motion is lotion. So as we are aging, you are in coming into that not so sweet spot where the body can at this point start tightening up and it's not really building any bone. And, you know, the muscles might start stiffening. Unfortunately, I'm past that point. I'm 20 years past you. And I can tell you for sure, tiny little injuries end up feeling worse if I don't move, but if I get up and I try to stretch and start my day with just warming up my body, and then even maintaining certain positions during the day and just holding them there can also be somewhat detrimental as well. So it's important to get up and go get that glass of water, get up and, you know, take a stretch, go up, get up and take a walk around the block. And then you also spoke about kind of tracking things, which is something in the dietetics world, you know, we have kind of two minds about this. Either we encourage people to do it or we discourage people to do it. Obviously it depends on the person with whom we are working. If there are triggering factors and people don't like to keep track of stuff, that's totally fine. But I'm of the mindset that my body is kind of a machine and it's telling me what's working and what's not working. And so if I'm feeling sick or tired or I'm finding little you know, blocks of time where things aren't really working for me, I think it's help- helpful to journal in that way, whether it's tracking my food intake for a week or tracking my mood or tracking my physical activity and then being able to kind of design an awareness for myself to say, okay, well then stick to doing that thing. Cause that's very, that's very good. And that helps me feel a little bit better. And so on the days where I'm not feeling so great, obviously I'm allowed to honor that I'm allowed to say, I'm taking a day off. I'm resting. I don't feel like doing anything. You don't have to always be productive, but for the most part we do, I think, uh, as you were saying, you just, you, you prioritize certain things, you prioritize whatever health factor works for you. And then you incorporate it into fun. It's not a chore it's like, I'm excited about doing these things. I'm excited about making salad or, you know, making my dinner or doing something in the kitchen. I'm excited about going for a run, uh, and, and getting eight hours of sleep. I'm excited about how I feel when I wake up. So I really appreciate all of that insight too, you know, from your perspective, even though it's two different factors that we might not have, um, in our own ways, be similar with, right? Like the physical activity thing for me, I, I feel is somewhat of a chore, but it still goes along the lines of promoting and, and prioritizing your health.
1: It was a way for me to take the thinking, right? So I think we hear a lot about mm-hmm. decision fatigue. Um, but actually what I did recently in quarantine, I found for the first three weeks, I was like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. Cause obviously the gym was out of the picture, but it's like, I don't know. Should I use my, my little weights at home? Should I do yoga? I just every day had to think, how do I feel? What are my options? And I'd rack my brain. I said, wait a minute, let me go back to doing what I used to do. So tracking was one way to take the thinking out. So I I knew kind of what my weights were. So when I'd walk into weightlifting in the gym, I'd say, oh, last time I did a squat at at this weight. So I know mentally, because I just wanted to take the thinking out of it. So I knew where to start. What I did in quarantine, and I think hopefully can be helpful to listeners who are because yes. the gyms are still closed. <laughs> was I, I turned around and I said, "Wait a minute. Let me do what I usually do. Let me make a and this was with the help of a friend. I made a low, medium and high intensity day. So now I no longer have to rack my brain and say if I do if I do a, if I do a low intensity day, is it going to be yoga, is it going to be stretching, what is it going to be? No, I can just go to my little list and say, "Ah. Yeah, I feel like today's a low intensity day." Tomorrow will be my medium day. But you know what? Maybe tomorrow comes and I actually don't feel like doing medium. I'll just do low. So I take the thinking out of it. And I, I would say that it's similar to meal prepping.
0: I, mm-hmm. I was just going to so, say the same thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was like, this sounds exactly like, <laughs> well, what's on the schedule for today? Yeah.
1: Meal planning. Yeah. I'm sorry. Not even prepping, meal planning. So I have a plan and I have options to choose from. And it's also like, you know, you have items in your freezer, items in your pantry, you might change your mind tomorrow. You might say, I'll make a salad with this, but then you turn on a, you know, you cook the greens down tomorrow with that same protein you're going to add. So I figured out very quickly once I sketched it out and I wrote it down and then I again, reassessed it. I came up with options. And the other thing I said about fun, I, I took dance as a kid. I took dance. I found dance as an adult through class pass. And I've, I really, there's this one class that I love and it's, it's this amazing class that's like high intensity, but it's also a lot of body rolls and it's fun. It's so much fun. I'm actually probably smiling like 90% of the time during now. the class. <laughs>
0: <That's> good. <laughs>
1: um, but I've recently learned from my sister-in-law who's a physical therapist and we were, she was saying, you know what, with my dad, you know, whatever's whatever is fun is important for him at his age. And I kind of took that and I thought to myself, this should be fun. I don't have to kill myself. And it's fun. So I do the things that I find are fun. I now jump rope a lot. Why? Because I love the footwork, which is kind of like the way I love the footwork of the dance,
0: right? That connection there. And that's important too. just because somebody's, you know, you might be working. So we're talking as far as dietitians and personal trainers and people in the health and wellness field. When we're giving counseling, when we're giving advice to our patients and clients, it's important to meet them where they're at and then encourage them to enjoy something that they want to do. So if they don't love going to the gym, don't go to the gym. Find something to do outside or find something to do with a group of people or find a different way to define physical activity for you. Like we were saying before, because ultimately you want to get up and be able to do it and not begrudgingly feel like it's, it's, you know, something that you have to check off your list because your doctor told you to.
1: Yeah. And we live obviously like being, I totally agree with that. And just being in Manhattan where, you know, there's a lot of classes, there's a lot of high intensity and, you know, it's just, it's really strange draining and straining a lot of the classes. Um, and I think sometimes like people might put themselves at risk or because they can be pretty intense and aggressive and not everyone has that, that gauge. Um, right. but I, I, yeah, I just don't think it has to be, I, I mean, and this has also come with age and time is to say, I don't have to break my back every time. And also I've shift, like I said, I shifted my perspective. It's really about maintenance. And while I do engage in physical activity. To maintain maybe a certain physique, it really, you know, that thought really quickly just kind of becomes like so secondary or tertiary because I know that this is intellectually, it's just like, it's so good. I'm doing myself a favor for the long term. There's enough, you know, wisdom in cultures, there's enough anecdotal evidence, and then there's, there's enough real hard evidence that the long-term benefits of exercise. Absolutely.
0: I was going to say that too, the benefits of who you are now preparing your future self. So you are decreasing the risk of fractures and falls when you are maintaining, you know, what we define as like the core or allowing yourself to be balanced in that way. And then you're also helps you when you're strengthening yourself. So if you're incorporating weight activity or body weight activity, you're helping to maintain and sustain that muscle mass, which then also protects your bones. So there's a lot of that, if you start now, the 70-year-old you will be grateful for it because it is a little harder as you age to, begin- to start from scratch. But you can mm-hmm. always start somewhere. Your body is very resilient and very forgiving, I believe, that it will allow you to pick up where you left off and, you know, obviously move in a slow direction, don't overdo it and don't end up injuring yourself by being too ambitious. But I really, I really agree with that too. And so baby steps and whatever makes you feel good and be consistent at it, right? Consistency is key in whatever that means. Like you said, you're customizing things for yourself. You're taking low, medium and high routines so that you can accommodate whatever you're feeling that day. I don't want to push myself or I can't push myself. So let me just do the next best thing and just move in some way, but in a lower uh, you know, intensity way. So do you mind if we uh, move into kind of like what a day in the life of you is right now? So obviously we keep bringing up the quarantine. So yes, whoever's listening to this, you're ob- if this is going to be uh, in the 2020 mid year point, you know what we're talking about, but for posterity reasons, this podcast is started because out of, <laughs> out of being isolated and having some time on my hands. And, but keeping in mind that while we are very much forced to be at home, at least some of us obviously loves a lot of essential workers that are out um, nonstop and don't have the luxury or the ability to have this flexible schedule. And uh, but what I was going to say was a lot of what we're bringing up in these episodes can apply no matter what's going on. Like you can have, you know, fits and starts to any of your, healthful pursuits. You can have times where you're not feeling great about moving or times where you're kind of stuck with the eating habits. So I think, you know, there's nuggets of information that come out of this that are always going to be applicable to whatever it is that we're, we're doing just in life. It just happens to be right now that we're very quarantine and uh, focused and isolated. So we're trying to at least make sure we're maintaining some sort of mental health and in uh, keeping all these behaviors going. Uh, but back to what I was saying, as far as like the current the current day in life of you, realizing that, you know, depending on uh, whatever you were doing six months ago might not be the same, but do you have a routine, you know, what you're doing as far as work, personal relationships, and whether the week goes by or there's certain things that you kind of do on a more regular basis. And tell us a little bit about that.
1: When I got my, my RD license about a little over... Two years ago. It's a really short period. I within a week got a part-time job uh, with, with what was called at the time Food Services Group. And I knew about this company because they connect, they took dietetic interns from the Hunter College DI program. I worked part-time. I had some family obligations at the time, so I wasn't looking for a full-time job. Uh, so it worked perfectly for my lifestyle. And I was basically a consultant um, with the company. Uh, consultant dietitian to Head Start programs throughout the city. Um, really kind of, I boil it down to working in the field of compliance. And I worked with them for about a year. Then I worked at a community clinic in the South Bronx. I left that job in the fall and I again rejoined my old boss because I realized I really like the mm-hmm. autonomy of this job. <laughs> uh, so I now work with the same company. It's now called New York and Richmond Group. And we do the same work, but the company has grown tremendously in the two years since I, since I met my boss at the time. And so what I do, really, my, my lifestyle hasn't changed drastically, except that, because I, I made my schedule primarily. So we, I work as a consultant dietitian to Head Start programs and other community-based organizations. Um, a lot of those programs, including Head Start, they receive meal funding from the CACFP program, the Child and Adult mm-hmm. Care Food Program. And there are specific guidelines that need to be followed at various mealtimes, procedures for the cook staff and the kitchen in terms of that food service aspect that we think is so insignificant in our education. And then you're like, oh, this is actually (laughs) happening. Okay. (laughs) Um, Very important. Yeah. So, um, and you wonder why that RD exam is such a huge chunk Mm -hmm. devoted to food service. And then it starts to make sense. (laughs) So I find myself now working, I'm still with New York Enrichment Group, and I'm the Director of Nutrition and Nursing. We also have consultant nurses, registered nurses, mental health professionals, and we're basically a consulting, um, we provide consulting, I can't say firm, but um, we provide consultants in nutrition, nursing, and mental health, as well as a variety of other things, but those are our three major fields. And I work from home and um, I oversee a lot of people. So part of my work, I would say 50 to 70% of my work is administrative. So I'm overseeing teams, sending out emails, reviewing contracts. Um, But then also the remainder of my work, I would say 30 to 40% of it is I also work as a dietitian for Head Start programs. And now that everything is quarantined, we've actually moved everything to the virtual platform. So previously... Where all my admin work was home, it's still being done from home. But previously where my head start going to the site, talking to the staff, meeting the staff, working with them, that's all now virtual. And in fact, I find and some of my colleagues also find that it's been more successful because unfortunately, a lot of parents are home because their workplaces are not operating just yet. But we're able to touch base with parents and we really function in the realm of community nutrition. So I, I mean, we really come in, even though we're, I said we're compliance, we also work with parents to support healthy eating habits with children and families and addressing several issues. So I, so whereas I started to, I didn't understand that role two mm-hmm. and a half years ago, but now I understand after having worked in a clinic in the Bronx, okay, so you go to your clinic and you've got your pediatrician and you've got your onsite nutritionist. So with certain families and communities where we're enforcing healthier eating patterns talking about resources, giving food demos, workshops. So you've got that at your clinic. Then you've got, you know, maybe you have another nutritionist. If you participate at the WIC program, you're receiving information from there. And now we basically come in and I'm also serving as another support system to encourage and nudge you in the right direction. And you know, maybe I'm the right fit for you. Maybe I'm not. But now I, as in now that I've been in the field for a few years and I'm, I'm learning and growing and it's extremely exciting. Um,
0: and I love that you wear a bunch of different hats because I think for anybody who's listening to this, who is looking to get into the health and wellness field, but specifically becoming a dietitian, there are, uh, jobs, positions, companies out there that can give you what you're looking for, or that you can create certain responsibilities within a job that exists and you can maybe make it your own. So in your case, and then also I was going to say on the patient or client's end of things, hearing the services that are provided, the value that's added, and the fact that you were able to transition into a virtual platform without leaving them behind. Because I think that's where a lot of us who maybe were doing on-site. Uh, things, we were doing on-site meetings with people, whether that's in uh, you know, a larger setting or in an office where you're meeting individual, individually, to lose that connection is a little bit um, hard to face, not just on our end, but also on the receiver's end too. So the patient, the client who's showing up, who kind of needs that accountability or that support on a more regular basis, thank goodness if they are able to do so, they can do so in the virtual setting. And that's kind of good to know going forward too, that all of this can, can shift. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're leaving you behind. We have another way of doing things, but I also wanted to talk to you about, you know, I'm a newish RD too. I've only been in it for almost four years. You're two and a half and change or so. And we are learning as we go. And I think we've also talked about, um, you know, kind of, the, the stuff that we're learning as we're going also depends on maybe who we are interacting with, who your mentors might be, what groups we belong to, um, it, you know, conferences that we go to and that sort of thing. Do you find that you have people you feel comfortable reaching out to? I mean, obviously, you're in my group and we share a lot of information. I'm I'm currently right now looking for a mentor to help me with navigating the whole insurance thing. Like I want to get enrolled in insurance and I just feel a little bit confused about that, but do you have people within your world or are you also a person within somebody else's world where you have that kind of relationship of bouncing ideas off each other or, you know, holding each other accountable for certain things and advancing your career in some way. Um, tell us a little bit about that too, as far as professional development goes within the world of dietetics.
1: So I don't have any mentor. I think that I have had role models, um, Like I said, I had an integrative dietitian family friend from childhood. I probably have spoken to her a handful of times in my uh, formal education with nutrition. I have definitely done coffee dates with people when I started to enter the world of community nutrition, but my role models actually in some ways are my friends who are my colleagues. So it's the same way I feel about personal relationships is exactly how I feel about professional relationships. And I think I told you this yesterday. Um, you know, I, re- I really feel, especially out of school, I- I've never been a competitive person. I really believe in the greater good and a collective approach. And, and that's not to say that you should not have a competitive edge um, because you also ultimately need to survive and thrive. But I, I find that my friends all have varying points of view. And and I'm talking specifically to my friends who are in dietitians or even work in the field of nutrition um, or even wellness and health. Like Everyone brings something different to the table. We all have different things that we're really interested in within the field of nutrition. I have a friend who was at a community clinic well before I was. So I would talk to her. And then once I was in that community clinic, I'd talk to her again and say, oh, now I know what you're talking about. And Suddenly, I could relate and understand to the the concepts, or the environment, or the references she'd make. Then I went back to kind of being more of an independent um, contractor, and I talked to a few friends who were able to guide me in the pros and cons, why they left a full time job to to make their own, pave their own path, and maybe have more than one job at a time to to survive, and the pros and cons of that, and. So I find my own friends happen to be role models for me.
0: I'm also interested in finding out what is, do you have ideas of what the future you does look like, whether it's career and, you know, whatever you want to share with that career personal stuff, but specifically I'm looking for career development in that way of who your ideal Person is that you want to work with or for, and or are you staying? You know, as long as you can with where you are and just growing. Um, I mean, I tend to do like a two, five, and ten-year plan, and I get scared that I don't have enough time left on this earth to accomplish all the things I want to do. But it can be kind of overwhelming. Um, At some point, I would love to be in a director's position and oversee some sort of programmatic something. I hope I have a role in that. And that's why a lot of the things that I'm doing right now, I'm saying yes to certain things that don't necessarily um, maybe fit in my schedule, but they fit in my outlook of life. So are, is there anything that you're pursuing for yourself in that way as well of what the future you looks like?
1: I I love what I do right now because I think it has exactly that balance of like managerial detail-oriented <laughs> spreadsheet stuff that I really do find myself yeah. always gravitating towards. <laughs> Um, But then also sharpening managerial and leadership skills, ultimately. That's the goal, right? Managers versus leaders. So I like having that, but I also like staying in touch with family. So I'm kind of split down the middle. I'm not someone who says, oh, I just want to do counseling. Um, So I I think that I'd like to continue to refine those skills and, you know, gain more skills in that um, moving forward, ultimately. And I do like the autonomy that I have with the position and the company I work for. I think that's a really big thing for me that I didn't realize until I worked in a more corporate, larger organizational setting. And I do like that autonomy. And I think that's something that I would like to maintain no matter what. So whether that means working with my boss for the next 10 or 20 years, or that means being my own boss or being in a joint practice where my my role is big or, uh, you know, kind of one of the few people in a joint practice of maybe right. other wellness practitioners. Um, but definitely that. So I think there's a, a level of independence and autonomy that I want to continue to maintain. And then, I mean, my heart has always been set on integrative and functional nutrition. And fortunately, a lot of it now is, has been formalized. There's a more formal education that, can, that we can get on in that path as nutritionists, as dietitians. We can now get the if not training
0: explain a little bit about uh, defining what that means, because I, I think the way that I think it comes from back in the day, you know, we only ever learned calculations and clinical stuff. And as far as dietetics goes, and now we're looking more at like the holistic approach. Is that correct in kind of defining where the integrative functional approaches come in?
1: So I think the word holistic um, can be, it's really a relative term and it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. So our, our education is very conventional mm-hmm. and traditional and I think that's good. That's great. It establishes your science background, your foundational understanding of science, the body, nutrition, disease. and um, But then of course, like anything else, you can go on to study so much in the continuing education realm. IFNA stands for the Institute for Functional uh, Mm -hmm. Nutrition Academy. And they now offer, I believe, I believe it's called board certification. I might be wrong, but they have a certification that you can take these, this extensive coursework um, and become certified as an integrative nutritionist. And I think, and it's, so you said the word holistic. So I, in, the, in, in this world, it's, I don't, I don't know if those practitioners are really looking at, you know, our role is not, we're not licensed right. clinical social workers. So we're not talking about your mental health, but we are talking about how mental health is influenced mm-hmm. by nutrition and that relationship with the gut microbiome, which now is all, you know, increasingly evidence-based. And I think that's what people, I think that's what the the, the traditional science community wants right. to see is evidence-based. And I, you know, having grown up exposed to Eastern modalities of Ayurveda and some other smaller stuff that's not as well-known in the mainstream, um, a lot of that, I think, You know, and these these practices have been are thousands of years old and now they are being formalized in a formal educational setting, or they're now conducting studies and where those studies are, you might have to dig for them, who's funding them, you might have to figure out, but and how many subjects (laughs) there are and and another various parameters. But I think I, I mean I'm I've always been okay with considering anecdotal evidence, empirical evidence. It's hard to explain, right? I'm, a, I'm on audio. You right. don't even see my video. You don't see what I'm doing. But um, I really do. I am such a firm believer in, yes, there is the hard and fast science of things. And I think that it's wonderful that we can turn to it and I can, I can pursue integrative nutrition and learn more about the biochemistry of things and other aspects of addressing chronic disease or gut issues or, or mental health. Um, through nutrition and repair and other things. But I really do feel that science only knows Mm -hmm. what science knows. Like what if there's, there are other things out there that exist, but we don't maybe have the tools to measure them.
0: But even research in itself sometimes can trans. I think, go over through like 20 years before something is caught up or that it ends up conflicting itself in 20 years, right? What we knew about eggs back in the day isn't what we know about eggs right now. And so to be the conduit through which research comes when we're in the dietetics profession, I can see sometimes how people kind of go, well, you say that now, but in 10 years it's gonna be different. This causes cancer, this doesn't cause cancer. That was high cholesterol, now it's not high cholesterol. But that's the whole point. It's just there's not enough. You can't constantly be doing research or there's not enough time and funding and the ability to do research on every little thing. So sometimes you do need uh, to maybe not just anecdotally, but, you know, if you are working in the field in a more integrative environment that you yourself are collecting case studies and you yourself are collecting data on what is successful, and then you can integrate that in some way to publish something that is, you know, significant, because by then you will have have hundreds of clients that are under your belt. So I think you're right, everything plays a role in that way. And I love the fact that you're pursuing that in that direction. So of course, I wish you the (laughs) best in that. So Sonia, as we're coming towards uh, the better part of an hour here, and we start wrapping up our discussion, is there anything that you would like to add that we didn't necessarily cover any, you know, message that you want to share with anybody um, that we didn't necessarily touch upon?
1: I think kind of this this last last piece of this conversation had me thinking um, just about maintaining an open mind and that, you know, I really I firmly believe in coexisting so we can coexist as people, as religions, as a variety of things, but also even within the realm of science, nutrition, medicine. I think that there's a place for the various approaches to to coexist, and it doesn't have to be black or white. And there are absolutely benefits of and I have, I'm in my. This is how I feel personally because of what I have experienced firsthand and witnessed firsthand. Is there are ways of doing things that may not be um, considered traditional, but to maintain an open mind and know that I'm probably not answering this clearly, but to that we can coexist and.
0: Yeah, it's a, that's a good message. There might be other ways of that's doing a good things. message, right? It's it's a very it's a very hard thing to detach ourselves when we've gone through the processes in our academic pursuits of being in this this profession, in this field, and having it kind of drilled into the, the science, science, science. But again, you can't put all of your eggs in that basket because there is so much out there that still exists that you should have an open mind. Now, obviously you know, we want to not do any harm. We don't want to necessarily proceed with any guidance and have somebody experiment in that way on themselves. But there is something about keeping that open mindedness, which I think is very profound and honestly, quite relevant with what's been going on in the past couple of weeks with the racial discussions and the turmoil and stuff is that, you know, being okay to not understand certain things without Um, I guess, berating or belittling people who are doing a different approach. Um, And we're all trying to live in this same environment that we're just trying to do well, we're just trying to promote health. And we're trying to encourage people to maintain and sustain that for themselves. So I love the way that you you did answer that you said you weren't sure if you did. And I think you did. I think you definitely did. And that was a lovely way to end it too, because it feels very warm and inviting and hopeful in that way. Uh, so, um, my last question that I've been asking all of my guests as well with the pun intended of what is on your plate today, as far as, are you working on anything in particular uh, today? Today Today's Friday as we're, as we're recording this. And then what's the next thing you're planning to eat? Did you make food for yourself? Are you going to order in, you know, tell us a little bit about how the rest of this day is going for you.
1: I have some phone calls. Uh, around twelve o'clock, and uh, then again later in the afternoon. And then I have like a social thing I do on Friday nights, nice. all on Zoom. And uh, in terms of food, I've only had black coffee so far, and yeah, food will probably end up being more of a high protein, high fat, fried eggs over uh, some some raw greens. And then I'll I'll since I'm with yeah. my parents these days, later in the day it will morph into uh, cooked vegetables. And probably more vegetarian-based food that my mom. Yeah. Well, you and
0: I share that right now because of this whole situation. I've also I've temporarily moved in with my mom for uh, a variety Mm -hmm. of different reasons to keep her company, and also she's going through some medical things. And so she'll ask me in the beginning of every day, you know, what's your schedule like? Will you come out and eat with me? (laughs) And (laughs) if I don't eat with her, she's still making food. I mean, she's Italian. She's going to make food. in case like an army shows up here. So there's always something in the freezer, something in the fridge. So I love learning about like kind of just what people are preparing for themselves, talking about food. And that really, and (laughs) and that's why this whole podcast exists. it's really just a book ended way of going, what did you eat? And what are you eating?
1: So when we, when we can finally go out to eat, I'm excited we should go out to eat. My
0: (laughs) joke originally was this was going to be a talk show where I sat down and had like, you know, conversations in a restaurant. And then I thought "I I can't stop to talk. I'm going to just be chewing the entire time. It's going to be a very, very long conversation if all I'm doing is for four hours, having to put my fork down and ask questions. (laughs) So this, this worked out better, I think. Well, Sonia, it has been a true pleasure. And I'm really so grateful for everybody who's kind of taking me up on my offer of being these initial guests and helping me develop my interview skills. And also, uh, as I said to you, I think in our pre-discussions that, you know, this is not, For my audience, this is for your audience. Is anybody who is connecting with you out there and listening, um, kind of jiving with whatever the message is or did they take away some sort of nugget of information that uh, they connected with? So I really appreciate all of your time and all of your energy and I wish you the absolute best. I know we're gonna keep in touch after I I hang up with you, but I wish you all the absolute best in everything that you're doing and your pursuits, both personal and professional. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina. And I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast leave a review and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again.